Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim Podcast, episode 63. I am Steve Heinrich, your host, and this is the podcast where I take a dive into my personal journey through design and technology and where they meet, plus other tidbits that I find interesting. This episode is being released and recorded on Thursday, April 4th, 2019. Uh, visit pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and social links if you want to follow along or leave any feedback or get in touch or whatever. Yeah, all the social links and contact forms and comment sections are there. Feel free to reach out in any way. Again, that's at pixelswim.com. So let's just dive into our weekly feedback notes and links. Uh, not a lot of feedback this week, but I just want to say thank you to Kyle Helms, who I actually talked to on the phone. So a uh, listener that I've uh, befriended and we've actually spoken on the phone. How about that in 2019? <laughs> Either way, thanks, Kyle, for all the good conversation. But uh, yeah, that's it for this week. I think as far as feedback goes, not a lot after the last episode. So yeah, sometimes it bees that way. Any feedback's always appreciated. So all right. So with that said, then we can move on uh, Do this right up front here. This is the LG G6 weekly report. So yeah, we've, uh, <laughs> again, just to keep me accountable. So this week for my LG G6, uh, this is, these may be some things that you already know about if you are on MIUI, but the MIUI app now has a dark theme for the mobile app on iOS and Android. And yeah, it looks really nice. It's just, uh, it's made the app a lot easier to use. It's, you know, obviously dark mode is, is nice to option to have in an app and it looks really nice and it's much easier on the eyes. Uh, I just wish MIUI I th- would get to some other features too. I know they've been promising the dark mode for a while now, so I can understand why they delivered on that first, but uh, hopefully they'll be able to my Next wish list item from them is direct links to posts so that uh, you can, not even just for my podcast necessarily, but other podcasts uh, like uh, the phone share chat and whatever works, then they can actually link to people's posts about different uh, topics and stuff like that, which uh, would be really helpful because right now you just have to basically scroll through and find it manually, which is not very fun. So hopefully MeWe will get on that next. MeWe, if you're listening, <laughs> which I highly doubt that you are. But either way, that's on my wish list. But yeah, it was nice to see that update on my G6. And I've also been continuing to try out the Microsoft Launcher. Of course, I've mentioned this a bunch of times in the past, and I might actually be getting closer to to, to using it daily. So I've just been keeping an eye on the updates and, you know, kind of going in and customizing things a little bit and then going back to my <laughs> the LG home screen. So, yeah, but that's pretty much where I'm at. Not a huge report this week. I did install the Plex app as well, but I'll get to that in a little bit here about more about that. So that's been this week's LG G6 weekly report. Okay, so just a quick update on the Soda Pop Bluetooth speaker that I (laughs) ordered many moons ago last year, September-ish. They have delayed the shipment again. I guess they had some issues with some of the paint on the parts or something to that effect. So they've been delayed a couple more weeks. So add a couple more weeks to the delivery date, basically, is what they said. They're sorry, you know, all this. So again, this was through Indiegogo that I purchased the speaker. Not, you know, obviously, I did not expect to get it right away. Uh, And I'm still not upset that there's delays with it. It's just kind of how the world of crowdfunding works. So I'm not I'm not upset. So I'll just wait my extra couple weeks. They did again offer if you want the orange version, you can 
change your order to the orange version and get that sooner. But I'm going to stick with the black version of that speaker. So uh, that's just an update on that. They keep, you know, pushing out communications about where they are. So, you know, can't can't fault them They're They're trying to deliver. So, yeah, uh, just that's that's an update for that soda pop Bluetooth speaker. Okay, so another uh, piece of news or tidbit here that I found kind of interesting is the 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 saga of Outlook.com not allowing you to add any sort of uh, custom IMAP or pop accounts. Uh, and I've kind of gone over this in the past because when I made the move to Outlook, this feature was not available because they had moved over to a uh, sort of a partnership with GoDaddy the domain registrar to uh, get custom domain email addresses added to Outlook. And so the feature to add your own from your own hosting was not working and it, it was still there, but it was throwing errors the last time I checked. So I decided to go in and just try it again uh, because there had been slow progress towards being able to add it again. I think Frank Needhart reached out not too long ago and said he was able to add it. I think it was Frank, but either way, I, you know, I, I waited a little while. And while I was scouring through the settings again on Outlook.com, I decided to try, try adding an account again. And uh, it's back. <laughs> I was able to add my IMAP account uh, from my email address that is hosted off of Stablehost, uh, you know, with all my custom IMAP server settings. And so, yeah, I, I was able to add it successfully to the account. It showed up in the list of synced accounts, and it also showed up in the inbox because you can select it to to fetch mail into your regular inbox or into kind of its own inbox. So I had it selected to go into its own little inbox, and so it did. And I was able to, also able to successfully send and receive using my custom server settings again. So yeah, you can connect up your your own email account uh, via IMAP or POP settings and use that again on Outlook.com, which is really cool. I'm not sure as of right now if I'm going to use it just because I have pretty much switched over all my vital stuff to my main Outlook email address itself. So I don't know if I'll be using my custom domain name email address in that way anymore, kind of like I was in the past with uh, Gmail. So I don't know, I guess we'll we'll see how how that how it goes. I, I just was excited to see that it was back and I, I haven't decided what I'm going to do next, uh, if I'm going to use that or how I'm going to set that up or what I'm going to do. So it'll just be uh, nice to to be able to have that option again. So if you if anybody else out there can go in and try and see if it works for them too because I know like I think I mentioned it the last time I talked about it is that you know maybe it's they're rolling it out again and so maybe we just uh here in the the U.S. or at least on the the user account or server that I'm on they uh enabled it again so yeah good news uh, across the board I just I don't see how the GoDaddy thing partnership would work super well or be super successful and I'm guessing that's why they have kind of rolled that feature back in. But I don't know. There's no way to find out, honestly. So, uh, but for now, it looks like it's back. All right. So there's a couple of big note sections here for the week of things uh, from my tech week. And the first one uh, that I'll go over now is my uh, an update on my hard drives. So, of course, over the past few weeks, I've been trying to find a solution for my 
my hard drive situation, uh, trying to get off of the the external two terabyte hard drive that I had. And so, yeah, I, I talked about it that I got the there's an Intel uh, two terabyte SSD drive, NVMe drive that I got for my laptop. And I got that in this last week. And so, yeah, I it was uh, it, <laughs> I mean, these drives are so tiny. They look like a stick of RAM. They're actually, I think, smaller than a stick of RAM. So it's it's kind of easy to install these things. So it was really easy. I think I mentioned in the past that I had just opened up my the the plate on the bottom of my my X1 Extreme. And there's just another slot waiting there to to <laughs> to be accepting of a new hard drive. So there was a little piece of plastic to peel off. And then on the under this plastic was a little bit of sort of really thin sticky foam that you can that kind of hold the drive in place a little bit better uh, because the drive did not actually come with a screw that is supposed to go on the opposite end of the drive. So one end of the the hard drive is the connector to the NVMe port. And the other end is just a little little not half circle cutout uh, that lines up with a, a screw that screws into the motherboard or the the computer itself to hold the drive in. And it did not come with that screw that I needed, which was unfortunate. But the the crazy thing is, is that I, a few years ago uh, when I had my Lenovo, I think U430 touch, I think I had taken that apart at one point. I'm not sure why. I think just because. <laughs> and when I put it all back together, I had a few leftover screws. And I, you know, obviously I, it happens from time to time when you're, when you're, doing that sort of thing. So I have just had like a magnetic tray that I keep screws in when I'm working on stuff. And I've had the screws in there from that laptop for years now just sitting there. And so I took one of those one of the smaller ones that I had on there and was able to actually use that to screw the hard drive in, which is really nice because, you know, the the type of screw that it uses isn't exactly available, you know, down at the hardware store. At least I don't think it is. Uh, it's a very tiny precision screw. So uh, that was a nice to be able to take care of that with the X stuff that I have lay- laying around. So and thusly, I had the hard drive installed. So and uh, I actually booted up the PC. And of course, it didn't show up right away uh, in the, you know, like the the my my computer section of the Windows Explorer. So I went into the disk management and, you know, it was in there unallocated, unformatted. So I was able to format it, allocate it and, you know, set the drive number or drive letter rather and the name of it. So once I did that, it was ready to go. Yeah, showed up in the system to terabytes or really it's actually 1.86 terabytes that it comes across in the system. So. But that's actually more so than the two terabyte external drive I have, which is which comes which shows up as one point eight one. So it's got a little bit more as far, I guess, more storage on it. I don't know exactly how all that works. I mean, it's you know, they say two terabyte and then you don't get two terabyte. It's kind of a just one of those things. So I know there's a good explanation for it as far as how all of it works. But again, the technicalities, the technical specifications and workings of these things are not my my expertise. So either way, so I started the process of moving all of my files off of that external drive and onto the X1 Extreme. 
So I started with the quote unquote life files that I had on that drive, uh, which was about, I think, 500 gigabytes. Uh, so quite a bit, uh, not as much as the work, but uh, that's where I started with those life files. I think figured that would be a good test run for, you know, figuring out how I want to get those over there. So I was looking at different ways to transfer those files uh, all at once. You know, it's a lot. I didn't want to do a drag and drop type thing just because I don't necessarily trust that uh, the Windows Explorer transferring. I just don't trust the, if that, the stability of it, that it won't freeze up at some point or do something to that effect. So I started looking a little bit into how to transfer big old chunks of files uh, at once and maybe a more reliable way to do that. So I was looking into it. I kind of found this robocopy command that you can run through the command prompt. And I didn't, uh, it wasn't exactly, I'm sure it would work super well, but it, you know, using any sort of command line or, or anything like that has never been a strength of mine. <laughs> so I'm getting better with it, but, uh, it just for me, it wasn't exactly the solution for me uh, just because of, you know, if something went wrong or if I did something, you know, type something incorrectly or, you know, I just wanted to be very confident in what was happening. So I didn't go with that RoboCopy command, which I guess is part of Windows itself. So uh, I would definitely suggest Googling that if you if you're comfortable with command line and you want to copy a bunch of stuff over. But ultimately, I decided to go with my old standby uh, sync toy, which is a Microsoft syncing tool. I think that's pretty old now too, but it still works on Windows 10. So I use that because it's a nice, uh, easy, easy uh, copying or backup system for me. Um, all manual, of course. Uh, I think there's a way to set it up where you can use SyncToy automatically. But either way, I went with SyncToy. And so basically, I think it kind of essentially does what RoboCopy does, the command line does, but it uses a graphical interface, it makes it a little bit easier to make folder pairs. And uh, basically, I set up a one time sync to uh, echo the the contents of that of my life files on the external drive into a folder that I put on my C drive just called life as well, just to have the exact same folder structure. And so I set that sync up in sync toy and it worked just fine. Yeah. And I think the thing about sync toy and why I trust it a little bit more is it because it goes in and, and creates sort of a command list of what files need to be transferred and it executes on all of them. You know, it doesn't, uh, I don't know. It it just it's something it, it's a program that's running, you know, not necessarily that the the file explorer transfer thing isn't a program that's running as well, but it just feels a little bit more reliable and things are being tracked and easier to, you know, set up with the sync toy and and know that it's going to run all the way through. So yeah, uh, SyncToy worked well in that situation. So I would had to move on to my work files, which I was going to move from that uh, the external hard drive to that new SSD that I got, the two terabyte one. And so yeah, I basically did the same thing. I actually made a backup of all of the work files first onto my uh, external hard drive that I have as a work backup which I probably should have done with my life stuff, <laughs> but I, it doesn't really matter. It's not really moving the files. It's just copying them. So, but either way, I just did that with my work files because just to be extra sure that everything was backed up and just in case. 
So yeah, I have that two terabyte hard drive install. I did the sync toys, the same thing with the, all those files, the work files to the, the new SSD drive. So uh, it took about five hours. <laughs> there's a, like I said, there's a little over one terabyte of stuff to move over, but ultimately it transferred absolutely everything. And so all of the, with all of that said, I actually set that secondary hard drive up as the H drive. And the reason I did that is because the external hard drive that I've been using for a few years it was the H drive. And so basically, I have a bunch of design files for InDesign and Illustrator that use external, externally linked files or images and, and things like that that get pulled in from the, you know, from the PC itself. So they're not necessarily embedded in the file. So they need to reference a file somewhere else on the hard drive. And I wanted to not break all of those links with my work files, because if I had used a different drive letter for the new hard drive and a different file setup, then every time I open, say, an InDesign file or an Illustrator file with an externally linked image, it would basically ask me to find the where the image actually is to replace it with the actual location. And I'd have to do that every single time that I opened a file with uh, one of those types of resources, <laughs> external resources. So that would be a lot of pain and take a lot of time and set up once I uh, started working again on all my files. So I got it set up and this way everything is isn't none of those links are broken everything is easily found where it was before so with that having that h drive uh, specified on that new hard drive so very easy to do all of it was pretty easy like i said most of it was just sitting around waiting for all the files to transfer but it's all set up now and yeah it's all set up and that's one less extremity i have on this x1 extreme and another reason why i'm super happy that I got the X1 Extreme versus say something like a Surface Book or something like that is because of the ability to add all of this, this storage to the PC. Now I have three terabytes inside the PC, which is really cool, really great. Something that uh, would cost a million dollars on a Surface Book or something that you cannot open up and replace or fix yourself. So very happy to have ditched uh, that extra dongle on the side and I actually posted on whatever works uh, the whatever works me community this week how I used to mount that external hard drive on the back of the the PC uh, on the back of the, the laptop rather I put these uh, 3m sort of interlocking strips on the back of the display and then another one on the bottom of the external hard drive and they just sort of interlock and clip it's like a super velcro I guess you could call it but uh, if you head over to do the uh, whatever works me we community you can see the post that I put there and there's a picture of it and everything so yeah anyway I'm just happy to <laughs> basically the only thing I have plugged into the PC now is the receiver for the wireless mouse and the power plug which again I have that set up to discharge and then recharge up to 80%. So it'll run the battery down to 75% and then charge it back up to 80%, run it down to 75%, charge it back up to 80%. And this helps to prolong the battery life on the PC. So that's a really nice setup. Uh, I can easily just unplug and move around and not have to worry about plugging anything else in or having, you know, all of my USB ports being used by something. So 
just the uh like i said the little receiver for the wireless mouse that's it basically but yeah super super happy <laughs> super happy to have all that set up and yeah i definitely suggest uh these x1 machines or the x1 extreme at the very least for its expandability yeah the machine costs a lot but there's a lot of flexibility with it as well all right so the next thing that i'm going to talk about next uh, chunk of my notes here the last chunk of my notes is that uh, I've kind of moved on to another project, a tech project in my household, I suppose you could say. Uh, and that is I'm going to, or I, I am, setting up a Plex server. Now, I mentioned a little bit ago that I tried the Plex app on my LG G6, and this is part of the reason why. So basically what a Plex server is, and I'm going to link to this <laughs> this uh, page on cordcutting.com, uh, that kind of gives more in-depth about what a Plex server is. But I'm going to read a paragraph that they have here about Plex because I think it kind of sums it up pretty, easy, pretty easily, <laughs> pretty nice. Anyway, so it says, at its core, Plex is a media server application. That means it turns local content into streamable content. If you have some videos, photos, and other media on a desktop computer but want to view them on your iPhone, Plex can help you do that. You set up a Plex server on one device and download client apps to a bunch of others. And just like that, media that was once limited to a single device is now available everywhere you go. So, yeah, that's a pretty, pretty nice summation of, of what Plex is. So basically, you can install sort of a, a simple Plex server software onto, say, well, in my case, a Windows machine. And it will basically turn any folder that you want with media in it, at least, into something that can be streamable via an another device. So I'm going to use it to mainly for uh, all of our DVD collection. I want to put it into a digital library that we can actually use, uh, say, on our phones, but mostly on our Roku. So essentially, it will stream from... Uh, a, a device and we'll be able to access all of our our dvd titles on the roku and just kind of stream them over there and and make it easier for us to kind of see our entire collection and watch it you know from different places uh, kind of like our own little <laughs> personal netflix collection so we basically have a couple hundred dvds i'm just estimating uh that like i said we hardly watch them we've kind of lost track of what we have uh, and then basically, I want to use Plex to pull all that information into one place. And the nice thing about Plex is that once I, I rip these DVDs into an MP4 format and, and get them into a Plex server setting, uh, Plex actually will go out and find all of the, the cover information. And I, it looks like it that Plex uses some sort of API to pull in all of the movie information with it. So when you're and watching uh, or you're browsing through the library on a device, you will see the actual movie cover and all of the corresponding information for that movie, like the year and director and and cast and description and all that kind of thing, which is super nice. And part of why Plex, I think, is kind of the obvious solution for doing this type of thing. So it's kind of a, a, an easy route to go down. Plex is super easy to install and use so but uh basically i've started the process of ripping all of our dvds onto a uh, hard drive 
And essentially what it kind of comes down to is that there's a hardware component to all this and there is a software component to uh, this whole process that I've started here. <laughs> so basically, for as far as hardware goes, I have a bunch of old two and a half inch and three and a half inch hard drives kind of just sitting in a drawer from, you know, old computers over the years. Uh, some of them, uh, like a couple hundred gigabytes, there's a few one terabyte ones in there. Uh, and so I'm starting with there, I have this Western digital my passport, that's a one terabyte, uh, another sort of two and a half inch small external hard drive uh, that's basically encased already, you know, that connects via U USB cord. And so I, I started with that hard drive. And if I need to in the future, I'll put a, an, an encasement on another one of the hard drives if I need to, or if I want to keep things like music or something on a separate drive. So hard drives, that's part of the hardware. Uh, another part of the hardware uh, that is kind of vital to this whole situation and setup is uh, a server to run it on. And when when I say server, basically, I just mean like a Windows machine in my case. And that's kind of what I was looking for. So I started looking around online and on eBay uh, for a, a mini PC uh, because basically I, I have my my laptop, my second laptop or the one that I was previously using. Uh, I can technically run it off of that, but it has to be open and running at all times if you want to access it at all times. So I wanted something that could be on and running all the time, uh, you know, fairly low power, but super, you know, useful and, and small because I don't have a ton of space for, you know, setting up a whole desktop computer for that. So I was looking for a cheap mini PC on eBay to use as the Plex server. Uh, and I did find these, this uh, Quantum Byte is the brand name. It's a fanless mini PC, and it has an Intel Atom uh, Z3735F quad-core uh, 1.33 gigahertz processor. Uh, I know that's not very good. It has 2 gigabytes of RAM and a 32 gigabyte SSD drive in it. So basically, it's a mini PC. It's about, I would say, it's about the size of a wireless router so not very big and, and it has several usb ports on it which is important so i can plug in those external hard drives especially because this only comes with a 32 gigabyte ssd drive on it and it come i ordered it and it has come in and it is uh running a fresh install of windows 10 i think it's home on there and so i got that in already but the the specs on it, uh, like I read just a minute ago, aren't the greatest. But this is just to run the Plex server, which does not require a bunch of resources. So I actually want to say thank you to uh, Kyle Helms again, who when I was talking to him, I know he has a Plex set up at his home. And he kind of helped me determine if that hardware would be good enough for Plex. Because when I found this mini PC, I wasn't sure if the specs on it would be good enough to run the Plex server because uh, Plex actually, I think their minimum requirements require an I, or it says they prefer an i3 processor, an Intel i3 processor as sort of the minimum. And I think this Atom, Intel Atom is actually lesser than that. Uh, again, not, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that that's the case. But he did say that he thought that uh, Kyle said that he thought it would work well. And he actually actually also suggested that a Raspberry Pi could work well for this as well. And of course, the Raspberry Pi is kind of the 
super cheap mini bare bones PC or not PC. It's a little computer that you can install, kind of install your own thing on your own operating system on and uh, and kind of set up the hardware the way that you want to. Uh, and it's only like thirty five dollars or something like that. So I figured uh, I didn't want to necessarily go that route because I didn't have uh, I, I wanted to make sure I had enough USB ports uh, to add on hard drives and stuff uh, for the future as well. But uh, definitely a good suggestion by Kyle for that. And that kind of gave me the confidence that this Quantum Byte mini PC was going to to work. So like I said, I got the Quantum Byte in uh, and I connected it to the TV in my bedroom via HDMI because that's its uh, display port. It has the VGA and it has an HDMI out. And so I don't have a monitor. <laughs> I used to have a, a spare monitor on hand, but I hadn't used it in like over five or six years. So I decided to get rid of it. So I had to hook this up to my bedroom TV to use that as a monitor. And, you know, I could hook up a USB mouse to it. And then on Windows, I didn't have I don't have a, a keyboard either because I've only had laptops for the last few years and don't have any extra keyboards laying around. So I just use the on-screen keyboard in Windows 10, which you can, on initial setup, you can access it via the accessibility icon in the system setup. So I was able to use that to type in all of the, the stuff to get Windows set up on there. So again, I'm setting up this, this Quantum Byte to, to run Plex, uh, just to, to be a basic Plex server that runs all the time. And I have to say that um, I was really impressed considering the specs of this little PC uh, and the fact that it only has two gigabytes of RAM, a pretty slow processor and a, kind of a small SSD in it. Uh, Windows actually runs fairly well on it. it I thought it was going to be deathly slow. And I'm sure some of that is that SSD main drive uh, kind of, you know, running everything much quicker than a, a spinning hard disk would but it actually runs really well. And I was I was very happy with the performance of it. Obviously, there's some lag on it. Everything's not the fastest in the world, but it wasn't painfully slow like I thought it was going to be. So I was able to install Plex on it. So you install the server software onto your, your Plex server, which will be this mini PC for me. And you get that set up. And basically, I, I think how it works is it just, you know, obviously, there's a lot of quote unquote magic going on in the background, but you can specify all the folders and stuff that you want to include uh, that have zero media on it. So I was able to get that up and, and installed. And I also installed Opera on there on the Opera browser because I noticed that in Edge, some of the Plex server stuff uh, doesn't work quite well that doesn't work quite right uh, on an edge as it is now maybe once edge goes to chromium it'll work a little bit better but uh, it's not i i don't think that the plex server stuff is 100 percent compatible with edge as it is now but either way uh the other thing that i did on this little pc when i was setting it up sitting in my bedroom on the tv was that i set the sign-in options to bypass the lock screen and just sign in automatically and i also changed the power button settings to have the computer shut down when I press the power button uh, because essentially why I did these last two things why I decided to bypass the lock screen and have it automatically sign in and also change the power button to have it just shut down when I press it instead of sleeping is because I'll be using this PC without a monitor for most of the time 
So essentially, after I get everything set up and I get all the hard drives installed and, and tell the Plex server on that PC to look at those drives, uh, once I turn it on, I'm going to be putting it, you know, in ne- in my office here uh, next, you know, next to, I think probably next to my router and it will just be up and running without uh, any way to see <laughs> what's going on on a screen. Because uh, like I said, I don't have an extra monitor or anything like that, but I'm not too concerned. But I just wanted to set these things up that way. So in case I need to restart it, I don't have to worry about typing a password to log in. Uh, you know, with the if it needs to be restarted, then I, it'll just boot right back up into the desktop environment and automatically load Plex on startup and be ready to go. And then when I pr- if I just press the power button, uh, I know you can press and hold to restart, but if I the button is on the back, it's not easily accessible or easy to you know to press it on accident. You you wouldn't press it on accident very you know very easily. So I just again I decided to change that to turn off the PC. That way I can just press it, wait for the little light on the PC itself to turn red because it go, it's blue when it's when the PC is on. And it is red when it is off. So I can, if I wanted to reboot it, I just press it, wait till the light goes red, and I know it's off. And then, you know, press it again to turn it back on. And that way I make things a lot easier uh, without needing any sort of monitor to see what's going on. So, yeah. So basically that the whole thing is set up now. The Plex server is set up. I don't have it up and running yet because I am still in the process of ripping all the DVDs. And to do that, I have been using my old, uh, my previous laptop, that IdeaPad 510, Lenovo IdeaPad 510. Can I kind of have it set up as a ripping station (laughs) as of right now? Like I said, there's a whole bunch of DVDs to rip. So it's going to take a little while to do that. So I just have a little, I have a standing desk and a sitting desk, and I just have it set up on the standing desk. And I am just using that now to rip dvds so i have a nice spot there to just go through the whole collection and you know everything will be set up and 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 ready to go on uh, a side note on that that idea pet my old laptop i did actually uh, factory refresh it through the windows settings so it's a nice clean <laughs> install of windows 10 which is really nice with just a few things set up and installed on there and i actually installed the plex server on it as well that laptop so everything that goes on to as I'm ripping the DVDs, I can go and check uh, on, say, on the Roku and see how well everything has come out uh, as far as the quality and making sure everything shows up in the in the on the Plex server. So, yeah. So but again, that's only if the laptop is open, which it will be for a majority of the time right now. And then after I'm done ripping all the DVDs, I will connect this external hard drive that my passport to the mini PC and have that set up and running as the the main Plex server. And that IdeaPad 510 actually does have an, an optical drive in it, a DVD drive, uh, but it's very unreliable. Uh, I, over When I ha- have been using it over the last couple of years, uh, luckily I haven't had to use too many DVDs or do too many things with DVDs. Uh, it actually was is a little bit unreliable uh, as far as I would use it a couple times, like say if I had to rip a couple things or uh, burn a couple DVDs or something to that effect. Uh, the eventually the drive would just not show up anymore in Windows settings, uh, and I couldn't do anything through the, dev- the device manager, and you know I couldn't rescan all the hardware and get it to show up again. I basically had to reboot the PC 
to get the, that DVD drive to show up again, the one that's internally in the laptop. But uh, luckily, uh, a, a few laptops ago, I actually bought an Asus. It was an X401 RBL4. <laughs> this is uh, a laptop that I had a few years ago before I started working at home. And it was kind of a kind of a you know, it was a cheap little laptop. I think it was like $219. And <laughs> it was basically just to have something at home because my uh, my main desktop was kind of on the fritz. But either way, when I had that, that was the first uh, that Asus laptop was the first computer actually in general that did not have an optical drive. And as you know, a lot of new laptops these days are because they're getting thinner and because CD drives are and, and CDs and DVDs are kind of going by the wayside. Uh, most manufacturers aren't including them anymore in laptops. So when I had that Asus laptop, I actually bought an external DVD uh, read-write drive. Uh, it was an Asus one because I figured why not get an Asus one for my Asus computer. And so, yeah, I used that. And that one is much more reliable. Uh, I've connected it up to my my laptop now for, for my DVD ripping station. <laughs> and it uh, is really reliable. It hasn't had any trouble. So I'm not sure what the deal is, but that's uh, it's nice to have that on the side. So but basically, that's the hardware setup. So I've got the, the mini PC. That'll be the Plex server. I've got all my old hard drives. Like I said, I got the laptop set up with the DVD drive to rip all the DVDs. So, and then there is the software side of things. Uh, of course, the Plex server software and uh, corresponding apps are part of the software. So uh, I've, I've talked about the server software. So you, there's an Android app, an iOS app, and a Roku app basically to access everything that's on your Plex server. And there, it's not free necessarily. There's free component to it. So if we just want to stream out of the Roku stick, uh, we can do that without having to pay anything extra. But I think in the mobile app, you have to pay uh, for the premium service. But it's fairly cheap uh, for Plex. Uh, I don't know if we'll go into any of the plans yet uh, as far as the what they call Plex Pass, which gives you all of the premium features of Plex, uh, which is $4.99 or $4.99 a month, uh, $39.99 for a year, or you can pay the lifetime fee of $119.99. And that will basically give you access to all the premium features for life. So that's actually not too bad if you're going to be using this like we are for years to come. It's, uh, you know, it could be a good idea to go with that lifetime pass and save a little money. But for now, uh, we haven't determined what, you know, if we want to do that yet. So my main thing right now is just getting those DVDs ripped. So, yeah, that's the Plex side of things as far as software goes. So I do have to rip the DVDs. Uh, and I know Handbrake is, you know, it's one of the top free ways to sort of do this. But I've actually had quite a bit of issues with Handbrake on my PC trying reading the DVDs that I that I that I try to load in. Uh, it seems like a lot of them probably have uh, copyright protection things on them. Uh, I have been listening to the uh, phone show chat and, and whatever works and Ted Salmon has been talking about using handbrake to rip a whole bunch of DVDs uh, without any trouble. Uh, so I'm not sure if it's just the fact that these DVDs that we have are in because they're in the American region or they're, you know, they're American DVDs. And so they have, they're like protected differently and handbrake just can't handle that. But either way, I couldn't get handbrake to rip a lot of the DVDs 
that uh, I tried out at first. And so basically, I started looking for another another piece of software to help me rip these DVDs. And so I found, you know, there's a, there's a few options out there, a bunch of, well, I don't know, the one, either way, the one that I found and that I'm using and is working is called Magic DVD Ripper. And I downloaded the trial of it to give it to give it a go because it's not a free software. And I tried out, you know, a few DVDs that I had had trouble with in Handbrake and it just worked. Yeah, I pulled in all of the all of the the chapters, you could say, from the DVD and loaded up the main one, which is usually the main feature film. And, you know, I tried ripping a few DVDs with it, even some that I thought maybe wouldn't work. Uh, (coughs) Disney, (laughs) usually Disney DVDs are the most uh, copyright protected, but it everything loaded in like uh, normal. So it it worked. So I was able to start ripping all the the DVDs to the MP4 format. And I did decide to actually purchase the Magic DVD Ripper software because it was working so well and so easy. So uh, I think it's like $34.95 or something like that, which isn't bad considering the amount of time and work and effort that it's going to save me trying to, you know, finagle handbrake into working <laughs> so or some other free software. You know, I'm, I'm kind of at the point where I'm just like, if it works, I'm just going to pay it. So yeah, so that's the the soft the last piece of software that I needed for this. So we got the Plex server and I've got this Magic DVD Ripper software and that pull, you know, brings in the the main feature or any of the the title chapters that you want on these dvds into an mp4 format and basically i named the each mp4 with the name of the movie and i think that's part of how plex goes out and finds the corresponding uh, data for each film and it's been working perfectly so far and i've gone through about 50 dvds so far uh it takes just under an hour for each of them to rip uh, i am ripping them in fairly high quality uh you know to kind of future proof things so i don't have to go through this again uh they look great on all of our tvs well on the one tv that i've tested it out on on that roku stick and yeah so everything's up and running and hopefully after i get through all of our dvds like i said i'm just making a dent and just barely making a dent right now. So that'll be kind of an ongoing process of just, you know, one DVD rips, pop it out, pop in the other one, start ripping that one. And that's what I'm going to be doing. You know, obviously it's kind of like doing laundry a little bit, you know, have to do a lot of work. (laughs) It's, it's like doing the first part of laundry where you just put, putting things in the washer and the dryer. It's just a matter of a couple minutes in between each uh dvd you know and then waiting an hour in between so it's not a lot of work it's just a lot of time but everything uh the way that i've been testing it out so far and trying it out on the roku is working well and everything's looking good and everything loads really fast and everything loads accurately so i definitely can recommend plex as a solution if you're looking to put all your dvds into digital digital format and maybe either get rid of them or just store them away. Uh, I think we'll probably just be storing them away in the future. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting all of that set up. Like I said, it's going to be a little bit of time <laughs> to get all these digitized. And then I'm, I'm kind of waiting to do the TV, like the TV series that we have. I'm waiting to do the, to do those last because you'll have to rip multiple files from each DVD because obviously there's multiple episodes on each DVD. So kind of waiting to do that as the last bit of the process. 
because right now it's just kind of a mindless thing. Load the DVD, click the button, <laughs> that kind of thing. I don't want to have to, you know, because uh, you can create like a batch setup where it will rip multiple things from the DVD in this magic DVD ripper software. And so that'll come in handy when I start getting to those TV shows with multiple episodes on a disc. And I don't want to kind of break the process up, you know, by throwing in TV shows in the middle of all of this. So I'll do those at the end. Plus, there's not as many, you know, TV series as as, as movies that we have. So but yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting that set up. It'll be totally worth the effort. And, you know, maybe we'll do the Plex Pass at some point, but uh, that'll come in the future. And next time on the podcast, I think next week, I'll be talking a little bit with kind of how I've actually tried to do this in the past. <laughs> and so I'll just I'll give a, a little hint of of what I'm talking about is uh, Windows Media Center. Uh, that's what I used to use for this type of thing. And like, I'll go more in depth on this next week. I've already think I've I've gone over for this week. So uh, I'm going to leave that for next week and kind of what I used to do with Windows Media Center and not too dissimilar from what I'm doing now. But obviously, uh, it was way back. That was many years ago that I was doing that. But I'll go into that in more depth uh, next week. All right, so let's wrap things up. As usual, thank you for tuning in to episode 63 of the Pixel Swim podcast. If you want to leave any feedback or get in contact or follow along, uh, visit pixelswim.com for all of that, all of the show notes, all the social links, all the forms, and anything you need to to yell at me or, or scream at me or you know, send kind words, whatever it's up to you. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, tune in uh, next week for episode 64. And we'll, like I said, we'll go over the Windows Media Center experience and kind of what I used to do there. So uh, appreciate you as always uh, for tuning in. Any feedback is always welcome. Yeah. So have a great afternoon or evening. Or you know what? I, I forgot to mention. <laughs> uh, God let's uh let's have a moment of silence for google plus okay let's move on with our lives anyway thank you for tuning in have a great afternoon or evening or night or spring or summer or whatever it feels like where you are thanks again and god speed <laughs> <laughs>